My name is Rick Renner, and I'm in the ancient city of Smyrna in the Roman province of Asia. And I'm standing in one of the underground passageways that ran under the state Agora, which was in the very center of the city. The church here was established during the time that Paul was living in Ephesus. He sent workers here. Paul probably came here himself and the church in Smyrna was established. But right from the outset, this church had real problems because of persecution. The city was totally devoted to idolatry and the worship of pagan deities. And the Agora, where I am, was filled with statues, idols, monuments, pagan festivities. This was a place of real idol worship. And we have early historical records that tell us believers were literally dragged into the open courtyard of this marketplace, this agora. They were tried officially by the proconsul of the city, and they were executed for their faith openly and publicly. Everyone knew Smyrna was a place where believers were dying and where they were suffering for their faith. And Jesus referred to this in Revelation chapter 2. And I want to read to you what Jesus said. He said, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. For behold, the devil will cast some of you into prison that you may be tried, and you'll have tribulation ten days. Then listen to these words. Be thou faithful unto death. That is an amazing statement. If I said to you, be faithful unto death today, that might be hard for you to handle. But the Greek here actually says, be thou in the process of becoming faithful unto death. You've got to begin with faithfulness today. Whatever it is that God's calling you to do, be faithful with that. Then tomorrow, when Jesus tells you to do something else, be faithful with that. Every day, be developing the process of faithfulness in your life. And Jesus said to the church of Smyrna, be faithful unto death. Work on faithfulness. Be so faithful that you would be faithful all the way to the end, regardless of whatever price you have to pay. And then Jesus said in the following verse, to him that overcomes, to the one who has made the determination, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to overcome. I will give the crown of life. There's a reward for anyone who's willing to overcome. And this is what I'm going to talk to you about today. Stay tuned for a teaching you can trust, a message that will inspire, strengthen, and equip you with vital insights and understanding from the Word of God. Here is Rick. Thank you for joining me for today's program. As I told you in the opening, today we're going to be dealing with Christ's message to the church in the city of Smyrna. Smyrna was a rough place for Christians to live. The Christians who lived there were horrifically persecuted. They were dragged into the state marketplace where they were persecuted, judged, and even slaughtered for their faith. And today we're going to be seeing what Christ had to say to them to encourage them. And I believe it's going to encourage you. You may not be killed for your faith, but maybe you're going through a tough time. Christ's words to Smyrna have great relevance for you, so stay with me. But remember that today I'm offering you my series called Christ's Message to Smyrna, a five-part series based on these programs. Please order this. It is so rich. It's filled with all the Greek words and the definitions, comes with a great study guide. My goodness, this series is just amazing. You can use it personally to study or share it with a friend that you're discipling. And by the way, are you discipling somebody? You need to be investing in somebody else that needs to grow. You can do that. 
And you can use this series to do that. Or maybe you're in a Bible study group. You know, every Bible study group, there are people that are going through a rough time seeking answers for how to survive, how to get to a place of victory. This series would be ideal for them. So I want to encourage you to order it. We're also offering you my book called A Light in Darkness. It's huge. If you don't read it, you can use it to lift weights. It'll put muscles on you. It's a big book. It's 800 pages plus. It's full color, every single page. It's filled with graphics, illustrations, photos that my team took on location. These are original photographs. This is original research. And it deals with the seven churches in Asia and all the cities where they were located. We actually do a study of all the seven cities and what happened to the churches in those cities and why Christ addressed those particular churches in Asia. I'm telling you, it is just amazing. It is such a resource. Look at it. It's just magnificent. Magnificent. You will use it over and over and over. I really doubt that you're going to sit down and read it cover to cover. A few people have, but most people keep it nearby and they use it as a reference because it just illuminates the world of the New Testament. It will really be a blessing to you. So I want you to order your copy today. Do that. And if you have a prayer request, let us know how to pray for you. We're people of prayer. We believe in prayer. And if you're going through a rough time, let us know how to pray for you. I promise you, we'll get right to it. We'll begin to go to the Father on your behalf. But today we're going to go back to Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 9, and we're going to quickly review and then move on. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 9, Jesus is speaking to the church in Smyrna. And he says, I know thy works in tribulation and poverty. Today we're going to move right to the word poverty, and this is where we're going to begin. They were going through tribulation. The word poverty really describes what kind of tribulation was the worst for them. Yes, some of them were being physically abused. Some of them had even been killed. But on a wide scale, all the believers in Smyrna were experiencing poverty. And when you read this in the Greek text, Revelation 2 verse 9 says, I know the poverty of you. It's unique to you. You're experiencing a level of poverty, different, unique than all the other churches. None of the other churches are experiencing this level of poverty. And we've seen that the word poverty is a Greek word, ptokeia, which describes abject poverty, total impoverishment, an appalling and horrifying level of poverty, a person so destitute he is deprived of the most basic essentials for living, one who may have to scrounge around to look for food, or it pictures one that is down and out, financially ruined, and poverty stricken. And we've seen that the reason they were suffering financially and materially is because they lost their jobs. They couldn't keep their jobs and also live for Christ. Why? Because in Smyrna and also in Thyatira, there were trade guilds. And trade guilds controlled the whole market. And you couldn't have a job unless you were a member of a trade guild, which was like a workers' union. If you didn't have membership in the local workers' union, you didn't have a job. Well, Christians revoked their memberships or just quit going. And when they quit going, the trade guild revoked their membership. And the reason they quit going is because of the horrible things that happened in trade guild meetings. For example, every trade guild began with the worship of a patron god. It was very evil. Then there was drunkenness. Then there was sexual debauchery and orgies. 
All kinds of horrible things happened in those trade guild meetings. Now these Christians have come to Christ. They have submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. And they said, because we're submitted to Jesus, we can't do what we used to do. And they said no to the trade guilds. And when they said no, they lost their jobs. It's just that simple. That's why they were primarily being persecuted. Now, of course, the pagans also didn't understand their new faith. And the Jewish community really did not like the Christians because the Jewish community saw the Christians as competition. And the Jews, according to Revelation chapter 2, stirred up all kinds of problems for the Christians insomuch that Jesus even called them the synagogue of Satan. That's pretty bad. So Christians had it bad on many fronts, but the worst thing they were dealing with was financial distress. They had lost their jobs. They had no money. They were impoverished in a material way. This was the tribulation they were experiencing. But in spite of that, in Revelation 2 verse 9, Jesus said, but thou art rich. That word rich is the Greek word plusias. It describes one that is fabulously rich. It describes immense wealth, vast wealth. It is the same word used by Plato to describe the legendary wealth of King Midas, who was the richest person in the world. That's the word Jesus uses to describe the church in Smyrna. He says, on one hand, materially, physically, financially, you're experiencing abject poverty because of your stand of faith, because you've decided to stand by your conscience to do what is right. You've lost a lot. But on the other hand, you're rich and not just rich. You are fabulously rich. These words are really great extremes, abject poverty and great riches. And the riches they had were riches of a spiritual sort. And I will tell you that when you lose things materially, if you lose a job, if you lose a position, very often God compensates you in other ways. And these early believers were compensated with spiritual riches. What kind of riches? They had rich fellowship with each other. They had covenant with each other. They couldn't even go to the government to get help because the government was against them. When they got in trouble with local mobs who plundered their homes, they couldn't even go to the police because the police were against them. They had to choose which pain they wanted. Do we want the pain that we've endured by our homes being plundered? Or do we want the pain of going to the police who will arrest us and throw us into prison? They had to choose their pain. They couldn't even go to the police. They couldn't hire an attorney. They could not appeal to the courts. Everyone was against them, but they had each other. And these Christians leaned on each other. They clung to each other. And between them, there was such a rich covenant, such a rich fellowship. And Jesus says, you know, you may have lost a lot materially and financially, but when it comes to spiritual things, you guys are really fabulously rich. You've discovered riches of another kind. And I want to tell you, there's all kinds of riches. Riches are not always measured by dollars and cents. And you know, I made a list of 15 ways that the New Testament says you and I are rich. And I'm just going to read these to you very quickly. Rich. And in every one of these 15 instances, it is the Greek word plusias, fabulously rich. We might say filthy, stinking rich in all of these ways. That's what the Greek word plusias, rich, really means. In what ways are we spiritually rich? Well, listen to this. We have riches in heaven. That's Matthew 6, 20 and Luke 12, 33. It means fabulous riches. We have riches of fellowship. 
We read about that in Acts 20, verse 32. Fabulously rich fellowship. Riches of God's kindness. Fabulous kindness God extends toward us. That's Romans 2, verse 4. Riches of God's power inside us. An amazing level of riches. That's 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. Riches of a liberal spirit working among us. 2 Corinthians 9, 10, and 11. We have the riches of God's glory. Fabulous, untold riches of glory. That's Ephesians 1, 18, Philippians 4, 19, Colossians 1, 27. How about the riches of mercy? The word plusius means God has so much mercy. God is not even sure himself of how much mercy he has. God does not know the extent of his mercy because he has so much mercy. When it comes to mercy, God is filthy, stinking rich. He's just rich when it comes to having mercy. That is Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. How about the riches of grace? Ephesians 1, 7 and 8 and Ephesians 2, 7, God's grace toward us abounds. God has riches of grace for us. How about riches of Christ, which is referred to in Ephesians 3, verse 8? Or how about the riches of fellowship of the Holy Spirit, which is referred to in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1? Or the riches of the saints and their partnership with us? That's listed in Colossians 1, verse 12. Or how about the riches of wisdom and knowledge that is available to us? That's referred to in Colossians 2, 2 and 3. Or the riches of a good foundation laid up for us in the future. Paul refers to that in 1 Timothy 6, verse 19. Or how about James 2, 5, which talks about riches of faith. We have riches of faith. And finally, how about the riches of eternal reward that are imperishable, in heaven, real riches, vast wealth that cannot even begin to be tabulated. That is referred to in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. These are real riches that cannot be measured in dollars and cents. I want to remind you that some of the poorest churches in history have been spiritually rich. And some of the naturally richest churches in history have been spiritually very poor. Just because you have money doesn't mean that you're spiritually rich. Some of the richest churches in history spiritually have been bankrupt. They've been very poor. You see, we can decorate our buildings, if you want to, with gold, with silver, with gems. But that doesn't mean that you are spiritually rich. Real spiritual riches is not always measured in dollars and cents. And I want to tell you a true story. St. Thomas... Aquinas visited the Vatican and Pope Innocent IV invited him to view the treasures that had been amassed by the church. And with great pride, the Pope said to Aquinas, no longer can the church say, silver and gold, have we none? The Pope was very proud of that. And to this Aquinas answered, Holy Father, this is very true indeed. But neither can we say to the poor and afflicted, rise, take up your bed, and walk. You see, they were naturally rich, but spiritually, they were bankrupt, they were poor. There's all kinds of riches beyond dollars and cents, finances, and material possessions. But in Revelation 2, verse 10, Jesus went on to describe what the church in Smyrna was experiencing and what they were going to experience. And Jesus said to them in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, 
Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil will cast some of you into prison that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Jesus begins this verse by saying, fear not. The word fear is the Greek word phobos, which describes a fear, a fright, a terror, or a panic. But Jesus said, fear not. Don't give place to panic. Don't give place to fear. The word phobos, the word fear tells us that panic was trying to grip the hearts of the believers in Smyrna because of what they were experiencing and because of what they saw coming on the horizon in front of them. It seemed there was no end to this horrible onslaught that was being waged against them. But in spite of the challenging times, Jesus in this verse said, fear not. And the Greek actually could be translated, stop fearing. It is a prohibition. It is very strong. Fear not is nice, but the Greek is so much stronger. It says, stop fearing, stop it, stop it right now. It was a command to halt the operation of fear. Fear never helps you. In Jesus' ministry, he said these words, fear not, over and over and over. He said in Matthew 14, 25 to 27, Matthew 17, 1 to 7, Mark 5, 35 and 36, Mark 6, 47 to 50, Luke 5, 1 to 10, Luke 8, 41 to 50, Acts 18, 4 to 9, Acts 27, 19 to 24, Jesus over and over and over and over and over, or the Holy Spirit or angels say, fear not. And every time this phrase means stop it, stop it now, stop this, halt the operation of fear. This fear is not going to help you, so stop it and stop it now. Well, John, who was writing the book of Revelation, had heard Jesus say this when he walked with Jesus in his earthly ministry. So when he heard Jesus say, fear not, that was a very familiar phrase for John to hear. Jesus was all the time saying, stop the fear, put a halt to it, put an end to this operation. Don't give way to fear. Fear never helps. And Jesus then continued to say in Revelation 2, verse 10, thou shalt suffer. The word shalt is future tense. It's described something in front of them. Even though they had already been through a hard time, this word shout is pointing to the future. And Jesus is forewarning them, hey, the battle is not finished. And I love this about Jesus and about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told us in John 16, 33, that when the Holy Spirit came, one of his ministries would be to show us things to come. And here we find Jesus and the Holy Spirit being so faithful to his people, rather than let events come that will take them off guard and by surprise, if they will open their ears and hear what the Spirit is saying, the Holy Spirit and the voice of Jesus is preparing them. Jesus never wants his church to be taken off guard. He never wants you to be taken by surprise. And if you'll be listening and have a willingness to really hear anything that he has to say to you, he won't just tell you about good things that are coming. He will forewarn you of events that are coming that could be difficult, not to scare you. Of course not. He just said, fear not, but to prepare you. He wants you to be mentally prepared, spiritually prepared. He wants you to be prepared in every way to deal with anything the devil will ever try to bring against you. And now Jesus said to the early church, fear not because of the things thou shalt suffer. Shout. It's still coming. It's still in front of you. 
the word suffer, the Greek word pasco, which simply means to be negatively affected. You're going to experience some negative situations. Wow. And I want to tell you, this is not just a message for the church of Smyrna. It's a message for the church today. We need to be listening to the Holy Spirit because we're living in the end times. And it's possible that in front of us there could be turbulent waters. And rather than us being taken by surprise, the Holy Spirit wants to tell us what's coming so we can navigate what is in front of us. And here we see an example of how the Holy Spirit tells us things to come. Jesus was saying to the church, you're going to experience some negative things in your future, but don't be afraid. Stop, halt the operation of fear. It's going to be all right. And then Jesus says in Revelation 2.10, Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. The word devil describes what's going to happen to them. This word devil, the Greek word diabolos, describes one who slanders, one who accuses, one who brings charges and allegations. And when you read it in the Greek text, it has a definite article, which means this is not just devilish behavior. It is the devil himself. Jesus says the devil himself is going to begin to work in your community through people, through circumstances to bring charges against you, allegations, misunderstandings, suspicions, and that's precisely what happened. The pagans did not understand the Christians. And what people don't understand, they tend to persecute. They are prone to attack what they don't understand. And the pagan community, with the assistance of the local Jews, began to attack the Christians because they had all kinds of allegations and charges and misunderstandings and imaginations about the Christians that had been stirred up by the devil in the community. And Jesus said, this is going to happen. In fact, he said, the devil shall cast, some of you into prison, shall cast from the Greek word balo. It means to hurl. It describes very fast movement. Jesus says, oh, they're going to throw some of you, hurl some of you into prison. The word prison, the Greek word phulake, which describes a Roman prison. When you were thrown into a Roman prison, it was usually the equivalent of a death sentence. People who were thrown into a Roman prison didn't often come out of prison. Jesus said, you're going to have tribulation. The word tribulation, the Greek word thalipsis, which describes a burden that is crushing, debilitating, or overpowering. But then Jesus said these wonderful words, you'll have tribulation 10 days. Why did he say 10 days? Because 10 days is a limited period of time. Now, there are many other meanings to this phrase, 10 days. But what I want you to understand today is Jesus was saying to them, guys, it won't be forever. It's just a limited period of time. If you'll be faithful, if you're endured to, to the end, you will bypass all of this. You'll get beyond all of this. You'll last longer than all of this. It's only going to last for a short time. And then he begins to make a promise to them who have an overcoming attitude. They're not going to give way. They're not going to submit to the circumstances. They're not going to violate their conscience or their faith. They're going to remain true. Because of that, they may have some opposition. But Jesus says, hey, it won't last long, just 10 days, and you eventually will overcome. And that is Christ's message to you. You may going through, be going through a difficult time, but it doesn't last forever. And by the way, God is not the author of your problems. Jesus clearly said in this verse, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. The devil is out to try you. That word try is the Greek word perazzo which means a calculated test to find a deficiency. Or the devil's out to see if he can break you. He wants to put pressure on you. 
He wants to assault you to see if he can get you to move off of your faith, to move off of your confession, to move off of what you're believing for. He's trying to break you. That this is your opportunity to stand in faith and to prove you're not moving. And for those who refuse to surrender, Jesus makes amazing promises. And that's what we're going to cover in the next program. I'll be back in just a moment. And I'm going to pray for you. The Bible comes to life like never before with Rick Renner's book, A Light in Darkness. Step into the world of the New Testament as Rick Renner transports you to the ancient cities of the early church, revealing the relevance of Jesus' messages to the church then and why those messages still resonate for his church today. On every page of this comprehensive commentary, Rick reveals insight into the ancient world and the disturbing realities the early believers faced as the church began to flourish in a pagan world. With unsurpassed detail, fascinating insights, and historical context, you'll have a greater appreciation and understanding of Scripture and how you should interpret it for today. This beautifully bound, 800-page, full-color biblical resource can be yours for $80. Features on-location photography with added artwork and illustrations to enhance the in-depth scriptural teaching that makes the New Testament come alive. When you call or go online today, you can also get the five-part teaching series, Christ's Message to the Church in Smyrna. As one of the seven churches in the book of Revelation, the church in Smyrna suffered great persecution, but Jesus encouraged them to overcome. Available in digital or physical formats, starting at just $10, Rick explores this essential message of how to overcome suffering and persecution and learn to trust in God's final plan. Don't miss this special offer, a light in darkness and Christ's message to the church in Smyrna. Call now or go to renner.org to order. You know, the devil may try to test you. He's all the time testing people. Shouldn't surprise you. The Bible tells us Jesus was tested by the devil in the wilderness. Why? The devil was trying to break him. The devil was trying to get him to move off of who he was. And that's what the devil did to the church of Smyrna. He was testing them, throwing them into prison, testing them, tribulation, horrible events to try them. That word try the Greek word perazzo, a calculated test to see if something will break. That's what the devil's probably trying to do to you, but he can't do it. I love John 1, 5. It says, the light shined in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. That word comprehended, the Greek word, katalambano, a literal translation is, the light shined in darkness, and the darkness could not take it down. The darkness was unable to master it. The darkness could not tackle it. And the light of God is in you, and it cannot be taken down. The light will shine in darkness, and the darkness does not have the ability to stop you if you determine to stand in faith. Wow. Oh, I can hardly wait till the next program. But I'll remind you, I'm offering you my series called Christ's Message to Smyrna, a five-part series based on these programs. And we're also offering you my book called A Light in Darkness, Seven Messages to the Seven Churches. But I want to pray for you. Father, I pray for the light of God and the power of the Holy Spirit in my friend to explode. And Father, that when darkness comes against them, they will repel it. And I declare, darkness does not have the ability to take you down. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember Ecclesiastes 8.4. It says, where the word of a king is, there's power. Let God's word release its power in your life today. And I'll see you in the next program.
Renner Ministries is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ through every available media to the uttermost parts of the earth. Discover the many ways you can help us make a difference in lives around the world with the Word of God. We invite you to partner with us in teaching, strengthening, and rescuing lives for the glory of God. Together, we can make a difference that will last throughout eternity. 